Nothing that we will talk about tonight is rocket science. One of the things that I try to do is simplify stuff. So this is all simple stuff. But sometimes the most simple things can be the hardest to obey and to live out. And so we need each other. We need accountability. We need constant just being reminded and prodded to live for Christ. And, and we've done a lot of this stuff together already, but I just, again, just want to explain some things and, and get back to some basics. So the Great Commission is why we do what we do. I mean, if you want to just narrow it down right before Jesus went back to heaven, he's, He gave a command to His followers that I believe it has been passed down from them to us to fulfill to obey. And we call it the Great Commission. And believe it or not, there's a whole lot of people that a lot of Christians that don't know the term Great Commission. But they probably know the verse. And tonight we're going to go back to the basics. Again, Matthew 28, verses 18 and 20, we have what we call the Great Commission. We're going to read it, and then I'm going to ask you some questions, okay? And this is very familiar, I know. But I want you to just look at it, if you will, and ask God to help you see it with fresh eyes. This is big stuff. This is so much bigger than you or me. So much bigger than Longview Point or even the IMB. This is big stuff. Matthew 28, Jesus has died on the cross, risen from the grave, He's got his disciples together and he tells them, verse 18, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Go therefore and make disciples of all Nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you all ways to the end of the age. So, this is a great opportunity for us to have take inventory of our where we are in this moment. Now, I've done this so many times. This, doesn't, this is not original to me. And I'm constantly convicted when I ask myself these questions. When I ask you these questions, I'm convicted. So here's some questions. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to really be honest with yourself. And you might want to write yes or no. You might want to put a check mark or a question mark. You might just want to ponder it later. But here's some questions from this passage that will help us examine our lives. Does Jesus have all authority in your life? He has all authority in heaven and earth, right? He has authority over you. But is there anything in your heart that you're holding back? Anything at all that is not submitted to His Lordship. If you're anything like me, you're constantly having to do battle 
with the selfishness of your heart. Because we constantly want to put ourselves on the throne of our heart. We constantly want to hold back. Many times, blessings from God, we want to hold them back and not have them with open hands. Some people ask the question, Does, is, is, the, the, is the blank check of your life on the table? Is it a blank check before God? Have you, have you put it all on the table and said, God, my life is yours. Whatever you want is what I will do. Does He have all authority in your life? Yes or no? Or is there anything that you're holding back? That's a hard question for me, to be honest. Number two, are you willing to make disciples? He said, based on the fact that I have all authority, I'm commanding you to go and make disciples. And you've heard this before. The command is to make disciples. And it's said in this way, as you're going, make disciples. You might say, well, I don't know how. Didn't ask you, do you know how? Are you willing? Are you willing to make disciples? God has given each of us a sphere of influence, each of us a very specific mission field. There are so many people represented by the relationships in this room that are far from God, that need Jesus. I was talking with a young man one day. He's like, man, I'm trying to go make disciples, but, but he's going to all the different Christians he knows and nobody will let me, let me disciple them. That isn't what he said. He said, go make disciples. Find people who are far from God, bring them to Him, and then walk with them and teach them. Are you willing? Are you willing to make disciples? By the way, it gets messy. <laughs> it gets messy. You ever heard ministry is messy? It is. It is. I was reading a book one day. Uh, Johnny Lucius gave me a book. It's called Organic Church. And the guy said that if you want to know where the most receptive people are, get your newspaper out and find out where the, the foreclosed homes are. Get your local uh, sheriff's deputy to ride you around and show you where the most trouble is. Find the people who are the, the dirtiest. He said, <laughs> how do you put it? I can't remember how he put it. I'm not going to try to quote it. Basically, the messier they are, the more fertile they are. <laughs> Find them. Where are they? It's messy. Are you willing? Are you willing to go make disciples? Number, number three. Are you willing to go wherever God sends you and talk to anybody about Jesus? Or who are you not willing to talk to about Jesus? Where are you not willing to go? He said, go and make disciples of all nations. That includes places that aren't safe or comfortable. And that includes people that aren't like us. That don't think like us, or talk like us, or smell like us. Are you willing? Are you willing to be uncomfortable? By the way, there's a member of our church that invited me 
to go with him this Saturday to have lunch with a guy that is living in Memphis who is from an unreached people group in West Africa. Muslim background, not a Christian. They're here. They're here. The nations are here. Are you willing? Or who are you not willing to talk to because of their ideologies or their religious background or their culture? I don't think that Jesus looks like us. I don't. I think he looks Middle Eastern. Who are you not willing to talk to? And will you surrender that to Christ? Go and make disciples of all nations. Are you willing to go and and talk to anybody? Number four, are you willing to teach new disciples to be baptized? By the way, for a lot of people, outside of America especially, that's a good line in the sand. When you're talking about following Jesus, and you couple that with following Him in believer's baptism, that's, that's a line in the sand. That's when they get the target on their back. Are you willing to teach people to follow Him in obedience to baptism, to be willing to identify with the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ? Are you willing to teach them to obey Christ and follow Him in baptism and maybe baptize them? But also, are you willing to teach new believers to obey Jesus? He said to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But then He said to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. He didn't say puff them up with a bunch of knowledge. He said teach them to obey me. To obey all that I have commanded. Are you willing? And by the way, most of discipleship is caught. It's not taught. Right? They need knowledge, but they also need an example. Right? I think that's why most of us are not willing to hold someone accountable because it flips back on us. And we have to be accountable. I'm not going to ask you if you're doing something I'm not doing and I know I should be doing, right? I'm not going to be asking you about how you're... Your, your quiet time's going, how your time in the Word's going if I've not been in the Word, because what if you ask me? So part of teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded is that we're willing to be that example and to walk with them. Remember how Jesus discipled people. Life on life. Walking together. Traveling together. Eating together. Serving together. Pulling away and spending alone time with the Father together. Fishing together, life on life. Are you willing? I didn't say, do you feel like you know how? But are you willing? By the way, if you know enough how to follow Jesus, how to trust Him, if you know enough how to be saved, you know enough how to tell somebody else how to be saved. And if they have questions that you don't have answers to, It's okay. Two things. Number one, when you say, I don't know, it builds credibility, right? But it also fuels in you an opportunity to go and learn more and to to call up Brother Wade or to to get in the Word yourself and say, I'm going to find the answer. And then, number three, gives you a chance to follow up with them and say, hey, I found out the answer to your question. 
It's automatic opportunity to follow up. You don't have to know it all, but are you willing? And then last, do you believe that Jesus is always with you? Because that's all the difference, right? We're willing to do things that we're scared of when we know Jesus is with us. We're on mission with Him. We're not alone. We're, not, we're never alone. And that's a little bit of a double-edged sword, right? He's with us when we obey Him and when we disobey Him. He's watching over us. He's with us when we, when we, when we fail. He doesn't leave us or forsake us. Isn't that good? Aren't you glad? Man. By the way, none of this, none of this is about performance. I'm not trying to guilt trip anybody. And I'm definitely not trying to tell you to do this to earn God's love. We don't deserve His love. We can't earn His love. The night I came to Christ, I'd been trying for a month to clean my life up so I could go to church and not feel guilty. And Dusty said, Trey, you'll never get clean enough to come to a holy God. By the way, he'd only been a Christian for a few months. And then he quoted Romans 5, 8 perfectly. God proves his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not once we clean our life up, but right where we are. He saves us by grace through faith. And he sanctifies us by grace through faith. None of this is so that we have better standing with Him or more brownie points or that He'll love us more or so that He won't love us less. This isn't about performance. This is because He's a good, good God. And so this isn't a guilt trip. This is an invitation, all right? Are you willing? That's the Great Commission. A few questions to help us evaluate where we are in our current commitment to Christ and our current, because this can change day by day, y'all. I can be doing great today and tomorrow. Next thing you know, I'm clinging to my material things again. Clinging to my comfort. Clinging to my safety. Clinging to whatever. This is a daily checklist, really. It's a daily surrender. One of my favorite seminary professors, Dr. Wilkes, you either loved him or thought he was a nut. He was a nut, but I loved him anyway. Every day, he said, I wake up and I surrender. Every day. Every day, I get on my, he says, I get on my knees and I put up my hands and I say, Jesus, I surrender to you today. It's an everyday thing. Matter of fact, it's a several times a day thing for me. Number two, next big, your bold question, what is a disciple? This is not new with me either. I first heard it from Brother Frank and he got it from a guy named Jim Putman, Real Life Ministries. Real life discipleship. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Jesus invites His first disciples to follow Him. Right there by the sea. You know what they do? They leave their boats and they follow Jesus. And in this invitation that He gave them to follow Him, we have a very simplified definition of what it means, what it looks like to be a disciple. You see it, Matthew 4, 19 is on the left column. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. See the verse and how it goes down? Now beside it, we see the explanation of a disciple. Disciples know and follow Jesus. Disciples are being changed by Jesus. 
Disciples are committed to the mission of Jesus. You see that in in Matthew 4.19. He said, follow me. That's to know him and follow him. And I'll make you. That's being changed by him. Fishers of men. That's being committed to his mission. You see that? Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. It's fun, y'all. Y'all like to fish? I don't know what it is about my father-in-law. He's, he's just got it. Some people got it. We'll be in the same boat, same rig, same jig, and he'll be catching crappie like, like just put it in there and pull them out. Put them in there, pull them out. And I'll be over there trying to get out of the bushes, you know. He's just got it. He's a good, he's a, he's a fisherman. When I go fishing, it's the real definition of fishing. You know when they say they call it fishing, not catching? <laughs> I'm fishing, I'm trying. He's called us to be committed to his mission. And he said, I'll make you fishers of men. If we'll follow him. And, and, and let me tell you this. This isn't, again, this isn't a guilt trip. What I'm encouraging you to do is walk with him on a daily basis and be in love with him and enjoy him and marvel over the fact that he has given you new life. Celebrate his work. Seek him in his word every day. Pray to him as you, as you walk down the road through your neighborhood. Pray for your neighbors. As you get to the gas pump, pray for the people you're going to encounter. As you get to the bank clerk counter, talk, talk to them and, and, and be pleasant and enjoy Jesus while you do life. And you know what tends to happen? These little conversations, before you know it, you're talking about what Jesus is doing in your life. And he's making you a fisher of men. Before you know it, you're talking to somebody that's going through something that you just came out of going through. And you're like, okay, now it makes sense. And you, he gives you a chance to speak truth. You, you walk in and you do your normal, hey, how's it going? And, and the person behind the counter doesn't give you the normal, good, how are you? They'll say, man, I'm having a rough day. Or I can't wait till five o'clock. And you're like, well, that's my cue. How can I pray for you? Can I tell you how God has worked in my life through prayer? And all these chances are, so disciples are committed to his mission. You ever heard somebody say that there are two main types of sin, sins of commission and sins of omission? We don't talk about sins of omission as much, right? We, we've allowed there to be these kind of sins that we don't see as so bad. But I'm here to tell you, if you call Jesus Lord, you're supposed to do what He says. Right? I mean, I'm not going to come to work one day and Brother Wade says, I need you to do this for me and say, no, boss. You don't say no, boss. You say, yes, sir. You definitely don't say no, Lord. You say, yes, Lord, right? And if we don't do what He says, that's sin. Right? What's the saying? I don't drink, cuss, or chew, or date girls that do, or something like that. That's, that's part of it, the stuff we're not supposed to do. But what about the stuff we're called to do? Be holy, for I'm holy. Love your neighbor as yourself. Forgive others. If we're not forgiven, that's a sin of 
omission. Go make disciples. We're called to do it. So, I want to encourage you. It's scary sometimes, but it's good. And if you are going to be a, a, a healthy disciple, you've got to be committed to the mission of Christ. I'm here to tell you, there are other places in the world that cost a lot more to be a Christian. It costs something. I got a prayer request this morning from a partner of ours in India asking for prayer for a new disciple whose father beat him and verbally abused him and told him he could not come back to their house as long as he followed Jesus. Cost him something to follow Jesus. Jesus is the one that said, if any man wishes to come after me, let him take up his cross. Right? Daily. Die to yourself and follow me. It's supposed to cost us something. Right? Somebody told me, I can't remember who it was. They were, they, they were newer parents. I think they had about two kids. And they said, you know, everybody talked about how having kids is going to change your life and, and turn everything upside down. But it really hadn't changed our life that much. And I was thinking, do what? <laughs> right? Like, I was thinking, either you were really boring people before you had babies or you are a bad parent because it turned my life upside down to have kids, right? You got to be home at a certain time and you got to spend your money in a lot of different kind of ways. You know, you just can't do what you used to do with little kids in the house. It changes your life, right? To follow Christ is supposed to change your life big time. So, what are we doing at Longview Point to intentionally make healthy disciples? What's in place, right? Well, groups, discipleship ministry. And we're, we're seeking through discipleship groups to not just teach but model how to be healthy disciples. I got you a little paragraph, and, and I'm just going to read it so I don't talk so much. To ensure balance in disciple-making, we want to focus on the disciples' heart, head, and hands. Our disciples will learn how to abide in Christ through Bible study, application, accountability, and transformation in community. Whether one-on-one -on -one or in a group setting, Follow the heart, head, hands meeting plan to focus on character, that's heart, knowledge, that's head, and obedience, that's hands. And I got you a little chart. And this is what we've called in the past in our connect group ministries, the three-thirds uh, three method, or you could call it the looking back, looking up, looking ahead. But again, to really say what we're trying to do we're calling it now heart, head, hands. We want to affect discipleship and, and for disciples to be growing and not just in knowledge, but in a character and in obedience to Christ, to be committed to Him, to know Him, to love Him, to obey Him. Heart, head, hands. So, I got a chart for you. I'm going to explain it. Then we got some next steps and, and, we'll, and we'll be done. If you're meeting with somebody one-on-one -on -one or in a connect group setting or in a Bible study at work, whether you have 30 minutes or an hour and a half, you can divide your time up into equal parts to make sure that you're focusing on the heart, the head, and the hands. 
So one part of your time is going to be focused on the heart. Or you can say, looking back, how's it been going? And it's a time of accountability. What God, what's God doing in your life? And it, it depends on your, your relationship with the person, right? But we want to get deeper than surface level. This is, how are you loving your family? How are you pursuing Jesus? A few weeks ago, Chris Wallace preached about Romans 12, 1 and 2. And how are you positioning yourself to be transformed by the renewing of your minds? How are you struggling in being conformed to the pattern of this world? Accountability. You can open up. I do this a lot. We do this, we do this at our dinner table almost every time we eat dinner as a family. I didn't say every day. <laughs> we don't necessarily eat dinner as a family every day anymore, but, but regularly we eat dinner together. And we just want to debrief with the kids. Tell us about your day. It was okay. What'd you do? Not much. So we start saying, what's your highs and what's your lows? And everybody has to answer. What was the high part of your day today? What was the low? If you're in a group and you meet once a week, it could have been like, for this whole week, what's been a high? What's been a low? What's going on in your life, right? What's in your life? Now, our kids also threw highs and lows and buffaloes. I'm like, what does a buffalo got to do with anything? That's something random, Daddy. <laughs> something random that happened. Okay, what's a buffalo? They love to talk about the buffalo. Highs and lows. This can be spiritual or not. Everything's going to come back down to the gospel sooner or later in one way or another. You could even say spiritually this week, what's been your highs and lows? Have you shared the gospel with anybody? Have you had a chance to share the gospel? How's your time in the Word been? What's the Lord teaching you? Not just what you're reading. What are you learning? And what are you obeying? What is God, how's God been transforming you? Or it could be, hey, last week when we met, you said that you really were struggling with some bitterness and, and you were going to Confess that to your spouse and you were going to ask them for, some, for forgiveness and you were going to you know, make some steps to, to not be condescending. or Whatever came out of last week's study time is a chance during the first part of our time together to say, how's it going? Did you obey what you said you needed to focus on this week? Did you share the gospel with your coworker like you said? Did you call your aunt or your mom and check up on them? Did you, did you pray more at that time that you said you were going to pray? It's a time to be reminded and held accountable to what we said we were going to do. Does that make sense? And then it's also a good time for worship and prayer. Maybe you have more time and you can sing songs together. You're like, Trey, this is getting kind of weird. <laughs> what we do, there's a, there's a connect group that meets discipleship group that meets in Starkville from college students from our church primarily or from this area that are on campus. And what they've been doing for worship time is to read a psalm and then pray through it. So one person reads about two or three verses and then they pray over that. And they ask, they, whether it's praising God for His characteristics or asking God to, to help in this way, they use the, the verses that they read as a prompt for prayer. So they're using the Psalms that were originally written for worship as a time of worship and a time of prayer. Um, time to pray together, time to worship. Okay, so that's the first third of the meeting time, dealing on the heart, the character. The next part is, is the head, or looking up to God. 
You read the passage that you're going to study, and then instead of giving a lecture, you discover the, the, the answers of the passage together through asking some simple questions. We have something we call the sword method. Remember the Bible's called the sword of the Spirit, right? A double-edged sword. If I'm holding a sword, it points up. That reminds me to ask, what do I learn about God? If a man's holding the sword, it asks, what do we learn about mankind? On one side of the sword, picture sin. On the other side, examples to follow commands to obey. So we read the passage. By the way, I really like to, to rebuild it before we just dive into, you know, read it one time and then ask a bunch of questions. I like to read it and then ask, okay, simple questions like this to rebuild it. Who? What? When? Where? Why? Who, who are the characters in this story? What were they doing? Where were they? Why do they say that? Why do they do that? You see, when was this in the, the life of Christ? Or when was this in the history of, of Israel? And you're asking these questions, but you're doing it in a way that prompts the people to rebuild the story. The, the one with Zacchaeus. Who, who's in the story? Well, Zacchaeus, the disciples, the crowd, Jesus. Where was Jesus going? Or where was he coming from? What does Zacchaeus do? Why? Why did he climb a tree? Because he was a short little guy. He couldn't see over the crowd. He wanted to see Jesus, right? Well, what did Jesus do? Walked right up to him. What did he say? Come down. I'm going to stay at your house today. What did he call him? Called him by name. And you get to ask those questions to help the group rebuild the story together. And then you ask, what do we learn about God? sinners. He came to seek and save the lost. He didn't give in to religious expectations. What do we learn about man? We need a Savior. We can be found. Sometimes we grumble when God's at work. Sometimes the crowd was judging Jesus for spending time with Zacchaeus. <laughs> they were grumbling. Haters going to hate. <laughs> That's for the young folks. Grumbling. And then, sin? Is there any sin? Yeah, Zacchaeus was a thief. Don't steal. <laughs> and you just walk through the story. And the, the, the crowd was being judgmental. And, we, and, and when you ask these questions, it is beautiful. Because it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter how much you know about the Bible. You bring something to the table. And often, new Christians bring fresh insight to a story that we need to hear. For instance, I was listening to a podcast that Megan shared with me about a lady that does Bible studies with people that are not Christians. And she doesn't even like Christians to be a part of the Bible study because Christians bring all this baggage, this Christianese language. And she was having a study about John 4, the woman at the well. And she asked a question, what do you think the woman at the well was thinking when Jesus approached her? And her answer seems almost blasphemous to us. But the lady who wasn't a Christian, who had had a hard life and some, some bad run-ins with some other men, said she probably thought that he was trying to hook up with her. Because you know why? Men in that time 
didn't approach women one-on-one like that. And this lady had a really, really bad reputation with men. Now, we know that that's not what Jesus was doing, but that lady might have really thought something like that. Well, I never would have thought that. I mean, I never would have thought that in that study. I feel myself blushing right now talking about it. Anybody can answer these questions and bring something to the table. And we guide the discussion through the truth of God's Word. And the people who have more knowledge of the Bible are able to help keep things in bound. And we're able to together discover what this passage is teaching and what we should do to obey what it says. A great example, when you say sins to avoid, but then are there any examples to follow? Well, the story, going back to to the story in Luke about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus repented immediately. You see an example of true repentance. He said, Lord, if there's any, I'm going to give half of all my goods to the poor. Now, he was characterized by being a rich chief tax collector. And everybody there knew he was a sinner. And he's about to confess that he stole from people. He defrauded them. But immediately, he goes from worshiping his money to worshiping Jesus, and he has a heart of generosity. The best way to fight greediness is to be generous. And Zacchaeus offers us a model of generosity and of repentance and faith and obedience immediately. You see that? Zacchaeus offers, so I was, I was in, I was doing this study with some people that were in, in a, like a, a, like a 12 step program. And they said, Zacchaeus is, gives us an example of making restitution. Well, I hadn't thought about it like that before, but he did. He said, anything that I've stolen from somebody, I'm going to pay him back four times. That's a lot more than was expected. But he's making restitution. He's not just using lip service, but he's putting action to what he is experiencing in Christ. He's an example to follow. But Jesus is an example to follow too. He knew the crowds were going to murmur if he spent time with old Zach. Right? But he did it anyway. Why? He said the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He's a great example for us to follow. I think I've told you this before, but I'm going to go ahead and do it one more time and and we're almost done. My buddy Slim. He hadn't been been a a believer long. I was wanting to talk to him about baptism. So I asked him, uh, Slim, can we study the Bible together? We followed this same process and we looked at uh, Acts in, in the book of Acts about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. There's a lot of great stuff in there that we learn about God and we learn about man. There's great examples to follow. And one of the very clear examples to follow is that the eunuch, when he believed, he took baptism immediately. And I didn't tell Slim, Slim, you need to be baptized. I said, said, are there any examples to follow? And he pulled out a lot of things. And one of the things he said was, man, I need to get baptized. Now, you know what we were doing? We were going to the Word and letting the Word and the Holy Spirit convict Slim and show him what to do. Not Trey, but the Bible. I don't want followers of Trey. I don't want people to be obedient to Trey. 
I want followers of Jesus. And I want to help them see in the Word what to do and, and, and gently coach them and nudge them to obey what it says. Does that make sense? So this process, y'all, is not rocket science. Again, my goal is to simplify things, not to make them complex. You can do this with anybody. And after you go through those questions, you come up at the very end, maybe there's something to practice. Maybe you learned about prayer, so you practice praying together. Maybe you talked about baptism, so you practice what do you do when you baptize somebody? What does that look like? What do you say? Where do you put your hands? You know, what do you do? But you can practice it together. Maybe you learned about giving and you, you take up a little offering and say, okay, how are we going to use this for the kingdom? Who can we bless today? Who has a need? And then you set some goals for obedience. This week, based on what we learned, how are you going to obey it? And don't, don't let it be general. Like, I need to read the Bible more. Well, duh. <laughs> Who doesn't, right? I'm going to go to bed 10 minutes earlier. I'm not going to watch that last TV show. I'm going to be intentional to set my alarm, maybe even three alarms, alarms back to back to back if it takes me that, to get up early and spend more time with Jesus first thing. So every morning, I'm going to get up at 5.30 and I'm going to read the Bible this week. I'm going to read a chapter every morning and I'm going to ask the sword questions. Next week, ask me how I did. And then the rubber meets the road. And then it's not just head knowledge, but it's obedience that brings transformation. You read the Bible every day, it's going to affect you. This week, I'm convicted about an old friend that I never told about Jesus. I'm going to call him. Whenever I tell Slim that I'm calling somebody, the next time I see him, he asks me, how'd it go? <laughs> I already know. Sometimes I know I'm about to see Slim. I go ahead and call him real quick before I see him. Because I know he's about to ask me. He's not doing it to make me feel bad. He just wants to help me be obedient. We need each other, right? Accountability is not mean. It's meant to be loving. Because the best thing for you and me is to obey what Jesus commanded. And we need each other. We need this community to help each other, to spur each other on, to fan the flame. Sometimes just to say, man, come with me and let me do it. In a few weeks, we're going to have people going out knocking on doors once it starts being daylight again. I don't know what to say. Well, go with Bobby and let him show you. He'll do it. <laughs> Every time I bump into Taylor Grace, he's like, how you been spending your time? What you been doing? Who you been sharing with? He's on me. I need people like that. So, this chart is just a real, I hope, simple explanation of how you can make disciples. And after you set some goals, you pray for each other. You pray over each other. And you commission yourselves to go out and live for Jesus. Lord, we're not going to be able to obey what, you just, what, what we just said we're going to do apart from you reminding us to do it and giving us the strength to obey. Even when we're scared, God, even when we're feeling lazy, even when it's hard, please help us to obey you and then go out and seek to do it. And next week when you meet during accountability time, how'd it go? How did it go? You, you, I know, I know you're, 
in your heart you're squirming, right? Like, I don't want to ask somebody. I don't want to be asked those things. We need each other. So next steps, how do we move forward? Well, notice this word faithful. Are you a faithful member of a discipleship group, formerly known as connect groups? Are you a member? And are you being faithful? Are you committed? Are you praying for the people in your group? Are you checking in on them during the week? Are you going every time that they meet? Are you inviting people? Are you being a faithful member of a connect group? A discipleship group, sorry. <laughs> I'm telling you, y'all. You be gracious with me, I'll be gracious with you. If you are, is there anything that you can do to help your discipleship group leader? Is there anything you can do to come alongside them and help them? Take role. Make phone calls. Lead a lesson. Bring some honey buns. <laughs> is there anything you can do to help your leader? Maybe a good question for you is, are you willing to lead a discipleship group? I am convinced that because this, simple, this process is so simple, that we have a church body filled up with people that are equipped and able to lead a, connect, a, a discipleship group. You can do it. And I would love to help you. Are you willing to host a new group? We need groups. We need places to meet. We even need people that are willing not just to host or willing to lead, but willing to leave the comfort of their current group to go start another one to reach more people. I'm not trying to pick on people. We have groups, we have groups that, are, that are 40 and 50 strong. I told one brother, I said, brother, that's, that's not a small group. That's a small church. He said, I'm trying to send them out. I'm trying to get them to go. They won't leave. So you, just, you do too good of a job. But we have to be sacrificial and willing to leave a group, to be a core group, to go plant a new group. Are you willing? And it, by the way, this has got to be God leading you to do these things, not me. Right? I can get aggressive. It's got to be God. But are you willing to follow Him if He says do it? Have you been trained to share the gospel? Do you feel confident and competent, confident and competent to share the gospel? Well, we want to do all we can as a staff, as a church, to, do, to make people able to do these things. So one thing is, about quarterly, we have an evangelism training from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., and they're fun. They're very interactive. It's not a, it's, none of it's rocket science. We practice together. We, we, we go out and share, come back and rejoice. And every time, on the way out, people are nervous. And on the way back, they're excited. Every time. Now, I hope that while we go out, we're being good stewards of our community and we're really sharing the gospel with people. But that's not even my major agenda. My major agenda is just to rip off the Band-Aid and give folks a chance to go try it and practice. Go with somebody that will model it for them. It's what we need, right? So much of this is caught, not taught. So, if you hadn't been trained or you feel like you need some training, next evangelism training is May the 4th, 14th. May the 14th on a Saturday. 
And if enough of y'all want to do it sooner, we'll do it sooner. And also, as soon as daylight savings is over, or whatever you call it, as soon as we spring forward, we're going to have more daylight in the evening. And the evangelism team is going to kick back up on Wednesday nights. Knocking on doors, praying for people. I've told you about it. Praying for them. Caring for our community through prayer and looking for chances to share the gospel. And it's a, you can go with somebody and just pray and observe and let them show you how to do it. Now, I am confident that there are people out there that will not come to us, but God sends us to them. And the only way to find them is to beat the bushes and to try. But I also really, really, really want to just have opportunities for people to go and see how to do it. And I pray that when people come to a training and when people go out on Wednesdays, that it ignites a fire inside of them. And they don't just go Wednesday night and knock on doors and they don't just come on Saturdays for training, but they talk to the people that they know about Jesus. They are intentional at work, at home, and in their neighborhood, and in their family. That's, that's what we're hoping to get to. Because disciples are called to know and follow Jesus, to be changed by Him, and to be committed to His mission. And he's called us to go and make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to trust that he's always with us. He said, go. Does he have all authority in your life? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, this privilege. It is a task that is so much bigger than us. But it's your work. It's your harvest. You are the Lord of the harvest. And I pray that you'll send us out as laborers and that you'll use us as we sow, as we water. Help us, Lord, give us opportunity to reap. Would you use us to draw people into your kingdom? God, for, for everyone in this room who knows someone far from you that needs to know you, would you give us the boldness and the conviction and just the, the obedience required to share your good news? And God, I pray that you would use us and help us to make healthy disciples that are able to also reproduce themselves and make healthy disciples that make healthy disciples that, that impact not just Hernando or Mississippi or the Mid-South, but my, not just the U.S., but the whole world, God. Use us to expand your kingdom across the street and around the world. I pray it in Jesus' name.